ignition sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. This is Ignition. Welcome to Ignition, a radio show and podcast for the new evangelization. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Bergwald. And I'm Father Andrew Dickinson. And we want to launch your own efforts to explain the Catholic faith and invite others to live it. Before we get into today's topic, we want to remind you that we love listener feedback. So if you've got questions about today's episode or ideas for future episodes, please contact us. The best way to do that is to email us at our email address, ignition at sfcatholic.org, ignition at sfcatholic.org. Or you can tweet us at SF Diocese, use the hashtag ignition, SF Diocese, hashtag ignition. Hi, Father. How you doing? I'm doing well, thanks. Nice. Uh, we are um, well into fall. Uh, next next month, of course, you and I talked before we went on the air, we've got the Synod coming up, so we'll probably talk about that um, in a future episode. We call that a teaser. That's a teaser. But tonight we're going to look back. Wait, well, yeah, we're going to look back a little bit. Um, Father and I, what we do when we look at... Uh, when we try to figure out what we want to talk about for a given episode, oftentimes we look at the liturgical calendar. Um, and so in this case, we actually we decided to go back to a feast that we celebrated a couple weeks ago, um, the Feast of the Triumph of the Cross. Father, right now, I could look it up right now, but do you remember what date the Triumph of the Cross falls on? September 14th. The 14th. Okay. And I know that because I assist, one of my sisters, his birthday is on the 15th, which is Our Lady of Sorrows. Cool. The day before is the Triumph of the Cross. So last week, Father, you and I talked about um, how we we seek to be formed as disciples of, of Jesus Christ in these four areas of formation. Um, and, and, and we talked about how we're formed in his image. Um, or we're called to be formed in his image. Yes. That we're being formed... Um, in uh, formed in bad habits, like leaving your cell phone on when you're recording the podcast. <laughs> so um, but you're being uh, that we're always being formed. And it's a matter of uh, under in whose image we're being formed. It's the idea of formation, a very important thing on a college campus. Um, the idea of formation, very important to parents that you're that you're forming your children at all times, and so to make sure that. Um, that you have an a goal and a target of what you're you're forming towards, and I really like what you just said. I mean, again, briefly, this is looking back to last week's episode. Um, but we're always being formed. The question is, in what or whose image are are we being formed? That's that's well said. There, there's no uh, there's no neutrality, so to speak, in formation. There's always movement one direction or the other. Yeah, that's 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 very well said. So, the question is, if we want to be formed in the image of Christ where, so to speak, in a spiritual sense, where does that happen? And that's, again, where where this feast, the Triumph of the Cross, the Triumph of the Cross fits in. And, and so that's what we're going to talk a little bit about today, this feast of the Triumph of the Cross and what it means for us as those who seek to be formed in the image of Christ today in the 21st century. So, Father, the first thing I think to note that's, that's worth thinking about um, is, is to allow us, to allow ourselves to be struck by the name for this feast and the the irony or the apparent, the seeming irony within this title, Triumph of the Cross. Again, we're 2,000 years into Christian history, um, we sort of, we've become familiar with this sort of language, but if, if, we, if we think what it would be like today or, or, or back in the day, 
to first hear about Jesus Christ and how he died, and then to hear that this is called, celebrated as the triumph of the cross, probably would seem a little bit odd, wouldn't you think? Oh, very much so. Um, There's a a podcast I listen to uh, myself from a a priest and a layman out in in Boulder, Colorado, called The Lanky Guys, uh, where they go through the readings for the week and and they talk about uh, the scandal of the cross. Uh, they're they're uh, looking at the uh, St. Paul's letter to the Philippians. Uh, and they talk about that in Philippi. Philippi was like the Florida of the Roman Empire. What? <laughs> Have you ever heard that? No. What does that mean? I mean, in the sense that like a lot of retirees. Were okay. There. Okay. Right. So like a lot of uh, military, retired military soldiers um, went there. And so for St. Paul to proclaim the cross to these retired Roman soldiers whose whole lives uh-huh. had been sent, spent at the service of Caesar right. and who used crucifixion to uh, strike down rebels against Caesar. Right. You know, for then, you know, St. Paul to proclaim the power and the worthiness of the cross and that the crucified one is the name uh, at whose uh, mention every knee should bend. Right. Yeah. As you said, the scandal of the cross. Right, because it's not just for a bad criminal. It's not just capital punishment. This was the worst punishment. And as a Roman citizen, you couldn't be crucified. Right. There was laws against it. You had to be an ins- you, you, and you had to be an insurrectionist um, against the Roman Empire to be crucified. Yeah. So, and, and and again, this is as is your that's great. I mean, that that context for the letter to the Philippians and and the people who would have lived in Philippi is is powerful. That 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 Paul uses the imagery that they would have been familiar with, but turns it on turn it turns it on its head that way. Right. Um. So so and we'll get we'll we'll talk more about this, but just I think we should allow ourselves to be struck by the irony of the name. And relatedly, you know, the the, the day uh, as you pointed out, Father, that that we we celebrate. Um, in a particular way, the triumph of the cross, uh, we call that day Good Friday. And again, I, we've talked about this when we've done episodes on Holy Week and the the, the sacred Triduum in the past, but but that, that we call this day on which Jesus dies this horrible, agonizing death on the cross, we call it Good Friday. Right. And it, it oftentimes a good thing to think about is what's good about it. Yes. Well, this is precisely what we're talking about on this feast, the goodness of that, that God brings goodness through, because uh, again, it's you know the worst evil that could be, right? Yep. That the all innocent one, the one who did nothing but feed and heal and bless and enlighten, uh, that this uh, one uh, is crucified uh, as a rebel, as a uh, uh, as an enemy. Uh, that the one who we should have uh, accepted, we have rejected. Yeah, that this is this is we're we're made God, by God for God. He sends His Son um, in human flesh, uh, so we should. You would think, well, we should be rejoicing at that and embracing Him. And what do we do? We we kill Him in a torturous manner on the cross. But the power of sin in that way uh, clouds our judgment, clouds our intellect, and instead we we kill Him on the cross. Right. But yeah. God turns that worst evil into a good. Yes, and so we call it not good Bad Friday. Friday, but Good Friday. And this leads us. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna let you take this one. This leads us to another another term that also sort of turns things on its head this way. 
Well, yes. Uh, just that as we were talking about this, Dr. Berg and I were thinking about examples where you can see this elsewhere, this principle elsewhere. Um, uh, Father Robert Barron, the uh, rector of uh, Mundelein Seminary in Chicago and the f kind of famous uh, apologist and, and preacher who does a lot of uh, YouTube clips and things, he'll talk about how we have a Christ-haunted culture. Right. And so one of the ways where you see this presence of the story of Christ in our culture is in uh, this bringing good out of what seems like a catastrophe. Right. Bringing good out of what seems like the worst thing that could be. Uh, and so many people these days have become fans with uh, the movies that have come out, have become fans of uh, the author J.R.R. Tolkien. And uh, Tolkien was a Catholic, a practicing Catholic. Uh, and he, while his uh, Lord of the Rings work in The Hobbit in that world of Middle-earth has no worship, has no Christ, it does have Christ-haunted themes, this, uh, what Tolkien called the U-catastrophe. A uh, U-catastrophe, E-U-catastrophe, is a good catastrophe. So it seems like the worst thing, it seems like there's no hope, but goodness somehow comes out of it. So yeah, taking that, I mean, that's, a, that's a powerful word, a catastrophe. I mean, that's, that's a word that we use, obviously, when something really bad has happened. And yet, adding that, that prefix to it, EU, EU catastrophe, making, of course, many Catholics think of the Eucharist, a good right. thing, but you, just, so a good catastrophe, something awful, as you said, from which good comes. Correct. And so and he, that's how he describes the end of Lord of the Rings, it seems like it's a catastrophe, but somehow victory is snatched from the jaws of defeat Yes, in that way. Uh, same thing with his writing The Hobbit. And he points out, too, that this you catastrophe is in so many fairy tales. Right. You know, the waking up of the princess uh, with the kiss, the final finding of the shoe. You know, she Cinderella thinks she has found love, but then she has to run away at midnight. You know, and the prince thinks he has found love, but she has run away and he cannot find her, but he has the shoe and, and goodness comes out of it in the end. Right, right. So, so I'll, yeah, as you said, snatching victory from the jaws of defeat. And this is different from uh, doing a wrong thing and a good thing coming out of it. Uh, these characters aren't necessarily doing wrong things and it works out okay for them anyways. So many times they're doing the wrong thing and they suffer for the wrong thing but some other force, providence, brings good out of it. Right, right. So, and then you also, in this context, you had a, a quote, I don't know if it's from Tolkien or not, but there's a quote that you had um, in the context of catastrophe and what that means for the with regard to the cross. Right, and that's just kind of my own personal way of thinking about it, that the cross of Christ meets us in our worst moments. So what do you mean by that? Well, and I, this really is... I, an invitation for all of us to have that greater personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Um, that in our worst moments, through his own suffering and death on the cross, Christ meets us uh, in those realities. That Christ meets us, that he's available to us. Um, because we're so often tempted to think, just because something isn't going well, God's far away from me. Right. But that's a lot. Right. And I think there, there are two dimensions to this. One, looking back to Christ in terms of me and Christ and the cross, looking back historically to, to Jesus's passion and death, and then looking today to me bearing my own crosses, my own sufferings. Um, I, I, I've been struck, Father, for, uh, a couple years ago, 
uh, something I'd read many times, and I'm sure I've talked about it on the podcast before, but really struck uh, anew by paragraph 478 in the Catechism, which which is talking about the 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 heart of Christ, um, the, the Sacred Heart of Jesus, and just this the beginning of 478 uh, again is really struck me in a powerful way. The Catechism says Jesus knew and loved us each and all during his life, his agony, and his passion and gave himself up for each one of us. So what the church is definitively, authoritatively teaching there is that in his, you know, I think of the, the sorrowful mysteries of the rosary, you know, the agony of the garden, the scourging of the pillar, the crowning with thorns, the carrying of the cross, and then finally the crucifixion itself. In all of those moments throughout his passion and death, Jesus knew and loved each of us and all of us. So Jesus Christ was aware of, thinking of, loving, offering up himself for Chris Bergwald and Father Andrew Dickinson and each and every one of us as he suffered and died on the cross. Uh, and I, and you know, it wasn't just, there's a personal and communal dimension. I think sometimes though we can overly emphasize um, or, or just default to the communal dimension right. that, that Jesus died for everyone, which he did. But, but not just the mass of humanity, he died for all of us and each of us. Right. And we, I think, Father, we need to let ourselves be struck by that and sit with that for a little while. Well, and I think, I think it's easy from a human conception to think about, you know, one or two or a handful or everybody. But to think about everybody as an each right. and everybody, that's hard for us to think of because, I mean, you know, why well, I... I have trouble remembering the names of my children sometimes. We had two kids in our family, and my dad sometimes would be like, John, Andy, Pete, Hank, Zeke, I don't care who you are. But that's divinity. That's divine knowledge that God knows and identifies and can identify with each and every one of us through that action on the cross. Right, right. So, I mean, so in, in his humanity, it may not seem like that knowing is going on, but that's in his divinity. Right, and they're united. So somehow I would say even somehow in his humanity, he knew and loved each of us, the, the union of, anyway, it's getting into deeper Christological waters than we need to go. But I, I think just to allow ourselves to be struck by that reality that, that Jesus Christ was aware of and loving us each in his passion and his death as he's... If we went much deeper into some of those Christological waters, my uh, responses might have started to sound blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Amen. So, Father, that's looking back, uh, but there's also, again, as, as I mentioned, uh, looking forward, looking to the present, looking to us as we carry our crosses. Jesus says, if he who seeks to be my disciple must take up his cross each day and follow me. So we're called by Jesus to carry our own crosses. How does that then relate to his cross 2,000 years ago? Well, I think the, the first thing is, uh, this is the response to suffering in the world. Is, 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 is our union with him on the cross and our sharing with him. Um, and it's, it's a tough thing to learn because it's, 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 it's not what we'd like sometimes. We would like him just to take everything away. Um, but he is really and truly with us in those moments. And there's, a, there's an intimacy uh, and a tenderness to learn in those moments that you, you have to learn, kind of like how a husband and wife have to harmonize themselves um, 
as uh, as they enter into their their married life together. Um, so a Christian in his life with Christ has to learn to harmonize himself to the presence of the cross in his own sufferings, in her own sufferings. Um, and we need to learn how to emphasize that, to enter into that as disciples uh, for the sake of the challenges we face in the world. Otherwise, we will lose faith. So how, so just briefly on this, uh, we're called to harmonize our sufferings. How do we do that? Um one, it's by learning to turn to him in those sufferings. You know, so often in the small day-to-day sufferings that we experience, that don't seem like big sufferings, but they are small sufferings, boredom, frustration, discouragement, loneliness. Um, so often we turn to our own devices for a solution in those moments, right? Right. Twitter, angry yep. pigs or whatever it is. Yep. Um, you know, the different... Um, uh, the different uh, games, entertainment, food, you know, fuzz stripe cookies are my challenge, you know, uh, my own personal cross. Right. Not quite. Um, <laughs> but uh, um, but so in those moments, instead of going to my own solution, turn to the Lord first, learning how to do that. And now that takes silent prayer to learn to be recollected, time of quiet prayer, whether it's a daily rosary, daily reading of scriptures. But as we do those things, we become more aware of those movements of our own heart throughout the day. Right, right. And so if we do that, then we can learn how to be with Christ in those little daily sufferings. And the more we can do that in those daily sufferings, the more we can go to those big suffering events. And again, this is, as, as you said earlier, this is this is the Christian response to the problem of evil, the problem of pain, the problem of suffering, um, which, which so often is posed by people who are struggling with with faith or with belief in God's existence? How can, how can a good, all-powerful God exist if, if, uh, if, if, if there's all this horrible suffering that happens uh, in the world to me, to my loved ones, to, to, the, the, to young, to old, to, to anyone and everyone, um, this horrible suffering, this is our response. And it's not, Father, I think it's, you know, because I, I, I bring this up, one, one, of the, one of the talks I give a couple times a year usually is to um, a grief group. Uh, mm-hmm. and, 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 and I talk, you know, just we, we sometimes we can we can be unsatisfied with with the seeming silence of God's response to our pain and suffering or the pain and suffering of a loved one. Right. Um, and, and yet I say, but but if we look to the cross of Christ as an example of how, you know, God is not indifferent to human suffering. He entered into it. He took it upon himself. So by, some people might say things like, you know, where was Christ at in the Newtown disaster? Where was Christ in Hurricane Katrina? Where is Christ for these Christians in northern Iraq or these uh, young girls being attacked in Nigeria by Boko Haram? Christ is suffering on the cross, and in that suffering, he is present with them, and they are not alone. And they are not alone. Yep. And I think, so the danger is, is if, um, and so this becomes an answer to the atheist objection, of course. If there's an all-powerful, all-loving God in the world, why is there suffering? Because there is suffering, which anyone can see. Therefore, this God must either not be all-powerful because he's not doing something about it, or all-loving because he's all-powerful but doesn't care. Right. And so this helps to answer that. This is God's, in his wisdom, this is his answer uh, to this. And, and, we, and, and we know, I mean, it's not just theoretical. I mean, people have... 
have found comfort and solace in the cross of Christ. They've found comfort that they can offer their sufferings up, um, uniting their sufferings to Christ for the salvation and redemption of the world. I and mean, this is the reality of what, what the church teaches about redemptive suffering. We can unite our sufferings with Christ's and, and, and give it purpose. So it's not, I think, Father, you know, we're willing to undergo all sorts of pain. You know, you and I were talking uh, before you, 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 you run in races and, and you run often. That's not, well, I don't know, maybe there's the runners high or whatever, but to me, it doesn't sound fun at least. <laughs> <laughs> And yet we, we, we I run so I can eat. <laughs> but but yet at least some people uh, will endure um, discomfort at least for some purpose. When there's a purpose, we can put up with just about anything. Right. Um, and 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 I think that's you know we can give our suffering some purpose. It's not that the suffering is good. God is not a not a, a sadist, um, but we can give some purpose to it. And just because there's suffering, it doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. And this kind of goes against some of those health and prosperity gospels that are very popular on television, um, where they fill the Houston Astrodome or things like that. And, you know, you're too blessed to be stressed. Right, right. I hear phrases like that, and I just look at the crucifix in response. Right. Yes, yes. So that that's uh, against a... Um too soft, maybe a sense of, of what it means to, to strive to live as a disciple of Well, it's Jesus like Christianity Christ. without a cross. Yeah, yep, yep. You know, Christianity without sin, a Christianity uh, where uh, there's no meaning to suffering in your own life. And so that goes back to Christianity without a cross. Again, disciples are called to take up the cross of Christ. Um, as you said so well, uh, the cross is where we meet Christ. And we did just talked a moment ago about, you know, I asked, you know, how do we do that? How do we harmonize our sufferings with Jesus? Um, now looking at it from the perspective of this, the cross is where we meet Christ. Anything more that you want to say about that? Um, again, I, in meeting Christ, you find life. And so if your Christian life, if your Christian devotion, or someone complains to you, your children, your friends complain to you that their Christian life you know, it's kind of boring or mass is kind of boring. That's a sign that we haven't met Christ in that creative and life-giving suffering of the cross. What do you mean by creative? Well, the cross is creative for Christ because, of course, uh, at his death, what is born forth from his side? The church. The church is born forth from his side. The church flows out. We hear uh, the account in the Gospels of the centurion's lance piercing his side and his heart and out coming blood and water. Um, the church has often seen that as a, as, as, her, as a moment of her creation. The sacraments, water, baptism, blood, the Eucharist, sacraments of initiation, imaging, Eve coming from the side of Adam in the garden. So it is a creative encounter at the cross. Right, right. Okay, okay. So creative and life-giving. Again, now we know <laughs> because we've been... Um, Christianity has been around for 2,000 years. Oh, yeah, the cross, Good Friday, and then Easter Sunday, cross, and then resurrection. But I th again, I think we need to stop and pause and, and allow ourselves to be struck by that the cross is life-giving. Death leads to life. And without the cross, there's no resurrection. Without the cross, there's no salvation. As uh, the prayers often say, the cross of the Lord stands revealed as the tree of life. Say that again? The cross of the Lord stands revealed as the tree of life. The cross of Christ is the tree of life. We see in, in, in Jesus that the cross becomes life-giving. Again, I, I think we need to 
at some point, give uh, set aside some time to, to pray, reflect, ponder, meditate on that, Father. Right. I think it should be at the heart of all Christian, and, and not just for Good Friday, not just for September 14th, the exaltation of the cross, but that's why it's good to pray stations of the cross on a regular basis. Yeah, that's even the, outside of Lent. That's like, yeah. The sorrowful mysteries of the rosary. And I was just going to say, with with the the stations of the cross, I mean that's that's something that that we're invited to do every Friday. I mean, I I know that there have been times when I've tried to make that part of my devotional life, uh, haven't succeeded in, in, in that yet. But but it's a good practice that we we can just do that on our own. If 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 our if our era, local parishes open uh, on Friday, hopefully we're able to go in and and we can just pray the stations on our own. There's an app for that. <laughs> yes. Um, Father, what else, anything else uh, that, that you think would be, what else can we say about the, this this feast and what it means, the triumph of the cross? Well, we don't have much time, but I think just this idea that then as we go to him, it's this place of meaning, a place of life, a place of creation. It's how then we were formed in his image. And we learn to live as he lived uh, in obedience to the Father. And so that when those difficult things happen, we can go through them as disciples and as difficult things happen to others, we can help them as Christ's disciples in those moments. So we don't... I'm, sorry, go ahead. Tying into the idea about being formed and, and who we're being formed after and whose image we're being formed. So we don't, again, sort of that... that, that against the idea of cross or Christianity without a cross. Um, we, we don't put up with our crosses despite the fact that we're Christian, but precisely because we are Christians, right. we, we bear them up. That's and Father... Uh, Not in spite of, but because we are Christians, uh, we put up with crosses. And and for me, was, there's two ways that I think about that, um, but that particularly come to mind when I'm thinking about the um, the Christ carrying the cross to the streets of Jerusalem, and then what that means for me. On the one hand, I am helping him bear his cross. I'm uniting my sufferings to his. I help him bear my cross, but even more importantly, more powerfully. Uh, he is helping me bear my own. Again, I'm not carrying these crosses on my own. He no. is there with me. No. It's his grace, his power that allows you to bear it at all. Yeah, exactly. As badly it, as I do, it's by his grace. Yes, I, I couldn't I couldn't carry, carry my crosses at all if it weren't for him having already carried his. So I think I think you know as we again look back as you said, Father, it's not just something that we we ought to think about um, on on this feast in mid September, but allow ourselves to to reflect on it. Friday is a, is a good day of the week uh, to reflect on it. Certainly during Holy Week as well, uh, but but throughout the year to take some time to to reflect on how we we are called to carry our crosses, and we can do so because of the cross of Christ, and we can do so uniting our sufferings with him, and in so doing, the, the pain and suffering life is not without purpose, but it is, lends itself to the salvation of the world. Amen. Amen. And that wraps up this episode of Ignition. Again, email us at ignition at sfcatholic.org or tweet us at sfdiocese using the hashtag Ignition with any thoughts, questions, or topics for future episodes. And until next time, dear listeners, may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can find archives of this and past episodes online at sfcatholic.org. Click on Media and then Audio Files. You can also subscribe to the Ignition Podcast in the iTunes Store. Remember to tune in every Thursday afternoon at 3 on Lamb Catholic Radio at 91.3 FM in Hartford and Sioux Falls and on 88.9 FM in Ipswich and Aberdeen or online at lambradio.com.